First Corinthians chapter 15. Edric, do I have my drink yet? Okay. Uh, First Corinthians chapter 15. Um, we're going to read together um, from verse 1 to verse 10. And if you're new to this, the reason why we stand in honor of the Word of God, uh, because we believe that the Word of God is not just written by men, it's written by God Himself. So that's why when we read this, we want to stand in honor of what God has written for our sake. So let's read together in count of three. One, two, three. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they. Sorry, my bad. Finish at first ten. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word that we just read. And we ask that you speak to us, Lord. I pray that you make this word come alive. Because unless you do so, this word just remain words. But Holy Spirit, when you work in our midst, these words can come alive and change and transform our life. And that's what we desire, Lord. We do not come here to gather and to listen to man's word. We gather here to listen to your word that has the power to radically transform our heart. So do so in our midst, Lord. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. So let me start with a question. What do you think is the most important message of Christianity? Okay? What is the most important message of Christianity that without it, Christianity ceases to be Christianity? Okay? Now, don't answer too quickly. Some of you are smart, you already know the answer, okay? You already know the answer. And if you do not know the answer, uh, the answer starts with letter G. Okay? This is a word that we continue to speak again and again, week after week in this place, okay? Now, but I want you to keep it for yourself for now, okay? What is the most important message of Christianity? Here's what I believe. Most of us, we know the answer with our mind. You know, a word come out to your mind, pop out the moment I ask the question, what is the most important message? Poop! There's a word that comes to your mind straight away. You know the right answer. In fact, some of you can describe what it is to a detail, in a detailed way. But yet, can we agree that even though a lot of them we know what's right with our mind, our life does not show what we believe. Anyone ever experienced that? Like we know what's the right thing to say, we know what is the right belief, yet our life do not show what we believe. Anyone else with me? Here's what happened. Here's my conviction. Because at the end of the day, we are not just what we believe. We as a human, we have something more fundamental than our belief. And it is 
our heart. Let me give you an example. How many gym junkies do we have? By gym junkies, I mean you go to gym at least three times a week. Raise your hand. Okay, this is the time for you to show off your tricep. Come on, don't be, don't be shy. Not many of you. I know, I know some of you are like, mm, that's me, that's me, okay? I know there's a lot of gym junkies in this place, okay? Now, here's my question to you, gym junkies, including myself. <laughs> Why do you go to the gym consistently? Okay, just put it in your mind. Why do you go to the gym consistently, okay? Now, can we agree that working out is, is a hard process? Working out is tiring. If you go to the gym and you're not tired, you're not working out. You're checking out. Right? If you go to the gym properly, you get tired. But the question would be this. You know that going to the gym is painful. But why do you continue consistently put pain on yourself? Okay? Here's what I know. Some of you are like, yeah, because gym, going to the gym is good for me. It's healthy. Well, that's true. When I look at myself, I always believe that going to the gym is healthy for me. Always. But yet, there are moments of my life where I just cannot be bothered to go to the gym. I know going to the gym is good for me, but I can't be bothered to go to the gym for one and a half years until something happened to me. Now, here's, here's my observation. You guys know this. If you've been to Roxy International a lot, you know this. The reason that I start hitting back the gym is why? Because my suit does not fit me anymore. Remember that story? Because I gained weight to the point that my suit does not fit any anymore. And that's what pushed me to start hitting the gym again. Now, here's what I understand about myself. That means this. Even though I understand that going to the gym is good for me, what actually drives me to go to the gym is not just knowing that going to the gym is good for me. What drives me to go to the gym is one simple fact. And that fact is this. I love my suit. Okay? And let me go one step deeper. Why do you think, why do you guys think that I love my suit? Why? Because, let me be honest, okay? I'm your pastor, let me be honest. I love wearing suit because I think that when I look good wearing suit, you guys will be approved of me even more. Think about it. Imagine if you see a public speaker wearing a suit that the button's about to pop out. That's not a pretty sight. Can we agree? But if you see a public speaker who was well-dressed, you know, nice with suit, you're more likely to be approved of that speaker before you even hear whatever he has to say. Okay? So at the end of the day, here's what drives me to go to the gym is not simply knowing that going to the gym is good for me. What drives me to go to the gym is my desire for approval from you guys. Okay? So that's what I love. Okay? I love getting approval from you guys. I love looking good in a suit. And that is why I go to the gym. This is what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say though. We are not simply what we believe, but we are what we love. It is our heart that drives everything we do. Can you agree on that? We're not simply what we believe. It is actually what we love what, that drives everything that we do. And this is very important. In Rock Sydney International, we have this mission statement. Okay? Can we go to the next slide? The mission statement goes like this. We want to grow deep in the gospel and we want to reach wide with the gospel. Let me explain this, what it means very quick. Growing deep in the gospel, it means this. That my heart, I want every single Christian in this place for you to be able to look at your life next year and see that you are a better Christian next year than you are today. 
that you are more in love with God, that you are more in step with the Spirit, that you are more obedient to the Father, that you look more like Jesus, that you talk more like Jesus, that you act more like Jesus. That's what it means to grow deep in the gospel. But at the same time, I also want us to reach wide with the gospel. It means this, that the message of the gospel is not something that just belongs to us. But I want us to be able to say, you know what? My neighbor come to know Christ because of me. My family come to know Christ because of me. My co-worker, my friend at uni, they come to know Christ because of me, because I share the gospel. That's why we want to reach wide with the gospel. See, if the gospel is only something that we celebrate among Christians, then there's something missing in our Christianity. We got to reach wide with the gospel. And that is why I love the fact that if you are not, you have not Christian, oh, we love the fact that you are here. I absolutely love the fact that we are a place for you to be feel safe to come here. And that's my desire. Okay, but here's what happened though. We want to be disciples who make disciples in the world. We want to grow deep and reach wide with the gospel. How many of you want that? How many want to grow deep and reach wide with the gospel? Okay, okay. How many of you agree with everything that I said just earlier, but consistently fail to live it out? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm raising both of my hands. I'm the pastor. See, this is what happened. Because at the end of the day, we realize even though we know what is the right thing to do, it does not necessarily mean that we do what is right. Because at the end of the day, what drives our motivation, what drives our action, what drives our heart is our love, not our knowledge. Trying to grow disciple without the right heart is like trying to drive a car with empty fuel. Anyone ever try that? Okay, it does not work, guys. It does not work. And that's what happened. And tonight, this is what Paul is going to say. Paul will show us what is the fuel of our Christian life. What is the thing that enables the car to move? And that word is the gospel. Okay? The gospel. Now, it's, it's very funny, Kel. When Paul talked about the gospel, he described the gospel as the first importance. Paul is the man who wrote two-thirds of New Testament. So he wrote a lot of things. He wrote many nice things. Yet he says this, out of all the brilliant things that I wrote, out of all the important that I wrote, there's one thing that is the first importance. There is one thing that is most important that if we get this right, then there's a chance that we get everything else right. But if we get the first importance wrong, then we're screwed. And what is that thing? And Paul will clearly explain to us, okay? In first one and two, he says this. Now I'll remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in faith, okay? So here's what Paul said in a nutshell. The gospel is not the only entrance point of Christianity. Sorry, the gospel is not only the entrance point of Christianity. Paul would say this, the gospel is not only the ABC, but the gospel is all of Christianity. That's why he put it in past present, and future tense. It says this, the gospel is something that you receive, which is something in the past. But then the gospel is also something that you stand. That means it's present. But the gospel also by which you are being saved. That's future. That's mean in our Christian life, we never walk past the gospel. The gospel is what empower your Christian life today. The gospel is what make you a disciple of Christ, what grow you as a disciple of Christ, and what enable you to make disciple of Christ. That's why it is very important for us to get the gospel right. For Christian, 
it is important for us to get the gospel right because only the gospel transforms your heart. And for a Christian, it is important for us to get the gospel right because it is the mean by which we make disciples of other people. And for the non-Christian, it is crucial that you know what the gospel is. Do you know why? Because a lot of time, what you think as Christianity is not Christianity at all. Okay, you have this preconception of what Christianity is. The world has. But let me tell you, they're wrong. Because they have no idea about the gospel. The gospel is what makes Christianity, Christianity. You with me so far? So my goal is really simple. Tonight, I just want to explain you the five elements that make the gospel, the gospel. And my hope is that by knowing this, that you will understand the beauty of the gospel, that your heart be captivated by the gospel, and you, for the first time, maybe, finally be able to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over your life. Okay, first thing about the gospel. The gospel is about Christ. First three. For I delivered to you as of the first important what I also received, that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scriptures. Now, let's talk. Let's be honest. How many of you guys grew up in church? Church people, raise your hand. I am proud. Most of you. Okay, awesome. How many of you guys grew up in church, but only began to understand the gospel when you start coming to this church? Raise your hand. Most of you as well. Here's what happened. Okay, here's my concern. There are many, many times, church, we neglect the gospel. Okay, there are many, many times where the church... We focus so much on what is secondary and we neglect what is primary. Okay, I've been in church long enough to know this. Okay, I, I grew up in a pastor kid. I was born Christian, man. At the age of six, I speak in tongues. Okay, some of you are like, what? Really? See, I, I was born a Christian. I grew up as a Christian. But let me tell you, there's so many times that I can honestly confess to you that church lost what is the first importance. So we began to talk, have this discussion about this weird thing, okay? And, and uh, this is from my personal life story. I don't know about your story, okay? A lot of them, when I talk to other Christians, we just argue about silly things. Let me give you an example. We argue about which kind of song should we sing. Should we sing Hillsong or should we sing hymn? And people argue and church split because of that, okay? Not only that, okay, we, we, we argue about uh, what sort of clothes should we wear to church. I mean, any, have, you, have you been to that kind of church? Some of your question, some of the Christian question, should we drink alcohol or should we abstain from alcohol? But this is the funny thing though. I never have that conversation in our church. You just assume that everybody of you, all of you love alcohol too much to ask me that question. Okay? I don't know why, but in other churches, this question keep coming up. You mean should But not in this church. You guys are bad. Okay? And also this question, okay? This question, okay, what about this one? Uh, what about the gift of the Spirit? Should we speak in tongues? What about God's sovereignty and human's reveal? Okay. What about going to clubbing? Can we go to club? So, I mean, that, all of that question, they're important. Let me tell you, they're important. But they are not the first importance. You with me on that? So the moment we begin to make that primary, we lost sight of what's important. And this is what Paul clearly said. What is the first importance? It's not about your behavior. It's not about what you should do and should not do. The first important message of Christianity is this. It's the gospel. It's about Christ Jesus. So it's not about you and me. No, no, no. Yes, you and me will come later. But it is about what Christ and Christ has done for us. That is the message of first importance. So Christianity 
is not first and foremost a set of lists of what you must do, but it is a declaration of what has been done. It is the good news of what Christ has done. If we understand this, okay, if we understand this, that the gospel is not about us, it's about Christ, it changed the way we talk to other people. I've talked to many, many people who rejected Christianity because they simply say this, well, I'm not good enough to be Christian. Oh, you guys, you Christian, you're full of law, you're full of morality, you're full of list of law to do. I can't be Christian. You guys are phew, beyond me. Hold on a second, that is not the gospel. I also talk to many Christians like, I, I don't feel I'm good enough to be Christian. Have you met that Christian? I feel like I'm worthy before God. I know it sounds humble, but it's wrong. It is denial of the gospel. Because if you still feel like, you know, Christianity is all about you, whether you're good enough in front of God or not, you neglect the word of Christ. You forgot that the gospel is not about us. It's about what Christ has done for you and me. We will never be good enough, but the gospel is that Christ is good enough and that we are found in Him. Okay, that's the gospel. The first thing about the gospel is the gospel is about Christ. But the second thing about the gospel is this. The gospel is about substitution. Say that word with me. Substitution, okay? What does it mean? Let me explain to you. This is what Paul put it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. I love the word for. Okay, the word for in Greek does not mean because of. The word for in Greek is the, the meaning of the word on behalf of. So what Paul says is that Christ not only died because of our sin, but Christ died on behalf of our sin. Do you see the difference? So now Christ become our substitute. So this is the gospel. See, John Stott put it nicely. John Stott put it this way. If you want to understand the gospel, the gospel can be summed up with one word, substitution. Okay, what happened? Okay, let me what tell me what happened in substitution. Here's what happened. You and I are sinners. We have a lot of sin. Some of you are like, what is sin? Sin is basically this. Sin is wanting the gift of God at the cost of God. Sin is wanting whatever God give can give you at the cost of your relationship with Him. That's sin. And all of you, all of us, we are sinners. We elevate the good gift of God and make the gift become God and we neglect the one true God. Let me give you the easiest example. Because may, most of you are young, not all of you, most of you are young. I think um, we're dealing with um, one typical sin that is very common among young people. Do you know what, what sin is that? Sexual sin. You with me? Can we be honest? Sexual sin is one sin that is extremely common among young people. Let me tell you why we sin sexually. Okay? The Bible is clear that sex is a good gift of God. Okay, let, let, me, let me be clear. I know some, a lot of preachers are like, sex is bad, don't have sex. No, let me tell you, sex is a good gift of God. See, the one who invented sex is not man. It's not Adam and Eve. The one who invented sex is God. God is the one who invented sex. So from the very beginning, we know that God wants you to have the best sex life. Is it okay for that to say that in church? Something like, is this a church? This sounds really good. Okay, but God wants you to have the best sex life. God wants you to enjoy sex to the best. But here's the thing about it though. 
when he invented sex, sex is not a result of your puberty. No. Sex is God's design. He put that desire in you. So when you do it according to his way, you'll have the best experience. You have the most joy and you glorify God because of it. And that's God's original desire for sex. But then what happened to you and me is this. We begin to twist that. We begin to say, you know what? God, I think I know how to, how to use sex better than what you say. So, in God's word, God said it's sex is reserved in a relationship, marriage relationship between male and female. I have to say that because today there's male and male. But it's a marriage relationship between male and female. That's where sex is supposed to be used. But then we come and say, like, no, 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 God, I know how to, do, have, to have sex better. I want to pursue my sexual desire. I want to put sex as my ultimate desire. That's why I want to say no to you. Forget you, God. I'm going to be God of myself, and I'm going to pursue what I want. And that moment, what happened is this. We elevate the good gift of God and we make it the ultimate and we forsake the God who gave us the good gift in the first place. And because of that, that word is called sin. That's what sin is. And because of that, there's only one thing that you and I deserve. It's called the eternal punishment. I know, I know, I know it's not popular in our days to talk about hell. I know. But hell is a reality. The Bible clearly explained that for those who rebel against God, there will be a day that you will be judged forever. Eternal condemnation. And at that moment, you will burn forever and ever, and there will not be one element of goodness in hell. Hell is the absence of everything that is good. That is hell. That's what you and I deserve because we sin. Can we agree that all of us have sinned? That's what you and I deserve, but he's the good news of the gospel. Christ become our substitute. What does that mean? So this is what Christ did. Christ took the punishment of God upon himself. Christ took the wrath of God upon sins up at the cross. He died for it. So that why? So that you and I can be forgiven. So here's, let me put it this way, okay? Next slide, Josh. Sin is our substitute self for God. We put ourselves in the place of God. The gospel is God substituting himself for us. Christ put himself in our place. That is the gospel. And that's why substitution is such a beautiful thing. But then the third thing. So the gospel is not only about Christ. The gospel is not only about substitution. But the third thing is this. The gospel is about resurrection. First of all, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. So the Bible tells us this, that Christ not only died for our sin, but on the third day, what happened? He was raised. He was resurrected from the dead. And you cannot separate the two. You cannot have the death of Christ without the resurrection of Christ. Because the moment you separate the two, the moment you try to separate the two, the gospel lost everything. Because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, our faith is futile and we are still in our sin. The death of Jesus Christ means nothing without the resurrection of Christ. Josh, the quote. First time you're missing with me today. So this is what happened. When Jesus died for us, how do we know that he completed his work? How do we know that God approved of his sacrifice? How do we know that our sin has been forgiven? This is the answer. Resurrection. 
the resurrection of Christ is the proof that God approved what Christ has done. Let me give you an example. How many of you said that Kwok went home the last few days? Not many of you. Wow. I'm going to tell him, man. I'm going to tell him. No, Kwok, no one raised their hand if I ask it. I'm sad. Okay, um, if you do not know Kwok, Kwok is our beloved friend. He's been um, part of us for five years, and he went back for a good Indonesia a couple of days ago. Okay? Um, I miss Kwok already. I, I don't know why, but I miss him dearly. Sometimes I find him annoying, but I miss him. Oh, okay, let me give an example from his life. Right? Okay? Um, because he's not here anymore, I can use his, him for illustration. <laughs> so he went back to Indonesia for a good um, couple of days ago, and because he loved me, he wanted to give me a gift. So he bought me my favorite game, which is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Anyone waiting for that game? I, mean, I, I just, some of you are too young to play the first Final Fantasy VII, that's okay. I cannot wait for Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's, I've just been waiting for that for years. So, Kwok Nyo, I love this game. And what he did is he purchased that game for me. But then something else happened. The release of that game is postponed for one month. So he's supposed to release at the beginning of March while he's still here, but it's been postponed to April, the beginning of April. Now we have a problem because he's going back to Indo and he cannot purchase that game for me. So what did he do? Because he loved me, he decided to pre-order the game and paid for the game in advance for me to pick it up at JB Hi-Fi later next month. <laughs> Love him, right? He loved me so much. So... And because of that, I love him too. Um, so here's what happened. Imagine me going to JB Hi-Fi next month when it, the game came out. And I said, sir, my friend Calvin Kwok purchased a game for me and I'm here to pick it up. You know what they say? Sorry, we cannot give the game to you. Why? Because it is not I who bought the game. It is Calvin Kwok. So in order for me to get the game, what do I need to do? I need to bring the receipt with me. Good things, Quark is smart. He sent me the receipt to my email. But that's not enough. So even if I bring the receipt of the game with me, and I say, hey, here's the receipt. My friend purchased the game for me, it belongs to me. It's not enough, because why? If the receipt is under Calvin Quark's name, I cannot take it. It's not mine. But again, Calvin Quark, he's smart. He put my name on the receipt. So next month, when the game come out, I can go to JB Hi-Fi, I can go to Counter. Bro, give me my Final Fantasy VII Remake. Why? Here's the receipt under my name. Purchased by Calvin Kwok. Well, they did not even know if it's purchased by Calvin Kwok, but it is purchased by Calvin Kwok under my name. Do you know where I'm going with this? Can you see where I'm going with this? How do we know that Christ... Christ has completed our salvation. How do we know that Christ has forgiven us of our sin? Because God gave us the receipt. Christ resurrected from the dead. As God's time of approval, God approved what Christ has done. And not only that, the moment you be trust in Jesus, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you know what happened? Your name, my name, is written on the receipt. So that's why we can confidently, confident, calmly say, I am forgiven, I am righteous before God. Not because of my goodness, but because Christ has paid the price for me. That is resurrection. That is the gospel. And the fourth thing is this. So the gospel is not only about Christ, it's not only about substitution, but the gospel, not only about resurrection, but the gospel 
is also an historical event. Verse 5 to 7. And that he appeared to Kephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, this is something that you and I need to get the right. See, Christianity is never about a blind leap of faith. I mean, I mean, have you ever heard that? Like, in order for you to trust God, I mean, you don't have to understand. All you have to do is believe. That's not right. Christianity is not based on blind leap of faith. No, 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 no. Christianity, the root of Christianity is based on a historical event. It is about what? It's about the fact that Jesus Christ life, Jesus Christ was dead, and Jesus Christ was resurrected. See, I mean, if you look and do some research at Google tonight, it is undoubtedly many, many scholars, all uh, well-learned scholars believe that 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish man by the name of Jesus. Undeniable. It's been proven. So they cannot deny that Jesus was living on earth. But do you know what they try to deny? The resurrection. Because, here's what happened. It's because if Jesus was indeed resurrected, then he must be God in flesh. That's why people, no, 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 no. Well, we believe in Jesus. We cannot deny it. There's evidence that Jesus was living on earth, but we don't believe in resurrection. But then Paul will tell us, hold on a second. Let me tell you why resurrection is a historical event. Why it's not an empty myth, okay? Here's what Paul said. First, Jesus, after he died, he appeared to Cephas. Do you know who Cephas is? Cephas is another name for Peter, okay? If you do not know who Peter is, Peter is one of the most prominent of Jesus' disciples. He is the man who said before the crucifixion, he says this, when Jesus tells the disciple, all of you guys will betray me. You know what Peter say? God, forget all this chunk, Trump. I will never deny you. Me? Different from other guys. But then the next day, you know what happened? Peter denied Jesus three times. Two, a slave girl. Not to the police. So a slave girl, aren't you one of the disciples? No, 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 I'm not a disciple. So Peter denied Jesus three times. So can we agree that this guy is a coward? Peter was a coward. But then if you look at history, history record to us that Peter ended up dying, resurrect, I mean not resurrected, crucified upside down. He will not deny his Lord and Savior. Do you know why? Because he saw a resurrected Christ. And not only Peter. The second thing is, Jesus also appeared to the 12 apostles. And again, you can find the story of Peter in all the 12 apostles. So when Jesus was crucified, this, the apostles, they hid in fear and they were scattered. But again, history records for us that all of Jesus' disciples ended up dying miserably for the sake of Christ. Now, can we agree that there's something weird here? I mean, anyone will die for a lie? Because this is the accuse that a lot of time people make. Well, they just make up a lie in order to protect their masters. This is not really happening. But, you know, they, they want their master's uh, legacy to go on. So they created a lie. It does not make any sense. How many of you will die for a lie? No one. Okay, let me put it this way. Let's say, for example, let's say, just say, for example, okay, this is just an example. Let's say that I'm actually a fraud. Let's say that I'm actually not a pastor. I'm a terrorist disguised as a pastor. And you find out about it. And 
the government find out about it, and they put a wanted sign on my head, and I hid in your house, and one day the cop come to your house and point a gun at you and ask you to tell me where I am. Any of you will die for me? Raise your hand. Not a single one. Wow, I'm so loved. Not a single one. Like, I mean, let's not talk about giving your life for me. You know, I just came back from Thailand. And the only person that dared to touch me is Kimberly Antonio. The rest of you do not even dare to touch me. Like, imagine if I go, ooh, ooh, ooh. Everybody will walk out of the room, right? But the disciples, they said, you know what? I'll give my life for the sake of my Lord. Why? No one will ever give their life, their life for a fabricated lie. No one. It is because they saw the resurrected Christ. And not only that, as if the 12 is not enough, then what happens is Paul says that Jesus appeared to 500 people. So it's not just a small group of people because if small group of people, yes, is you can fabricate a lie, but you cannot fabricate a lie with 500 people. That's too much. Okay? In order for you to create a perfect lie, it's better to keep the group small. But now Peter said, no, no, no. Jesus appeared to 500 people. And I love what Richard Bockham said. Richard Bockham says this. These 500 people, they are footnotes to the gospel. Do you, guys, you know guys know what footnotes are? Do you guys write academic paper? All right. I hope most of you don't. Like footnotes, some of you are like, I know what footnotes is. Footnotes is what I created on my own to prove that I am right. That's not footnotes, okay? That's called bluffing. Some of you do that on your paper, I know. But a real footnote is this. The purpose of footnote in academic paper is basically to say this. What I say is true. And in order for you to know that I'm true, here's my sources. You with me on that? And here's what Paul say. What I say is true, and my footnotes are the 500 people. If you want to check out the truth, ask them. Because most of them are still alive at the time when Paul write 1 Corinthians. So Paul says this, I'm not just making some lie. This is the truth. 500 other people believe it with me. And what last one? I love this one. And lastly, Paul, uh, Jesus appeared to James. Now, who is James? If you do not know who James is, this is not James the apostle. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. So when Jesus was on earth, um, he has half-brother and half-sisters. And what is interesting about Jesus' half-brother and half-sisters is this. While Jesus was alive, they think that Jesus was crazy. Okay? They do not believe in Jesus, so they're not, they're not believers. They think Jesus does not make any sense. I mean, how can this God proclaim that he's God? He doesn't make any sense. So his brothers and sisters mock him. But then, later on, we found out that James became one of the pillars of the early church. What happened? I mean, if you have a brother, what does it take to convince you that your brother is a God? Uh, nothing, right? Correct? What about if he resurrected himself from the dead? And that's what happened. See, he appeared to James, and James convinced he must be God. So it's what I'm trying to say. The gospel is not built on ancient myth. The death, life, and resurrection of Christ is not an empty myth. There were a lot and a lot of witnesses to his resurrection. And if that's not compelling enough, all you have to do is look how each of them ended their life. They were persecuted, and yet they refused to deny their Lord and Savior. Why? There's only one reason. 
because they saw the resurrected Christ. They saw their masters crucified, died, and resurrected on the third day. And there's no one that can take away from them. My Savior is risen. The gospel is about historical event. You with me so far? And here's my last point. By the way, I'm trying to cut my sermon short. Good news for all of us. Starting this sermon, I'm going to aim for a 45-minute sermon instead of 50-minute sermon. Okay? Five minutes discount after the training. Because what happened on the training was, um, they asked the question, um, how, many, how long do you preach? Okay? So when they asked this question, that question, say, how many of you preach less than 15 minutes? A lot of preachers then, Whoa! Less than 15 minutes. I'm like, how is that possible? Okay, the next question, how many of you preach less than 30 minutes? Some people raise their hand. Less than 30 minutes? How is that possible? How many of you preach less than 45 minutes? People raise their hand. I'm like, wow, these people are preaching less. And then, how many of you preach less than one hour? I raise my hand. Me and my dad about the only two. Okay? And how many of you preach more than one hour? It's only my dad's hand. Okay? All right, so... I'm like, okay, maybe I should cut down my sermon shorter, 45 minutes instead of 15 minutes. Okay, let's do that. So, um, and my last point is this. The gospel is not only about Christ. The gospel is not only about um, substitution. The gospel is not only about resurrection. It's not only about historical event. And the last thing we need to understand the gospel is this. The gospel is about transforming grace. This is the way Paul put it. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Okay? This is Paul's life story. This is Paul's biography. Now, if you do not know what, who Paul is, let me tell you. Paul was not always the holy man we taught him to be. There was a time in Paul's life where Paul called himself this persecutor of Christian. That's why he said this, I am the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy. Why? Because in the, at the beginning of his life, he hated Christian. I mean, he despised Christians so bad to the point that he not only uh, despised them, he killed them. He persecuted them. That's why he said this, I am the least of apostles. I am unworthy to be an apostle. But then something, something happened to his life and he changed altogether. Something that, used, that, something that he used to hate, suddenly he loved. What happened? What does it take for you to love something that you hate? Anyone hate Vegemite? Vegemite hater, raise your hand. I hate Vegemite. Some OC hate me already, but I hate Vegemite. I mean, the smell and the taste of Vegemite for me is just like, blah. For us, we'll hate Vegemite. What does it take for you to love Vegemite? For me, there's only one thing that can make me love Vegemite. It is Jesus' second coming, where he renewed Vegemite and make it taste like Nutella. That's the only way. That's the only way. I hated Vegemite. And let me tell you why I hated Vegemite so much. Okay, first of all, I hate the smell and the taste. But back in my high, middle high school camp, uh, we went on a two-day bushwalk, and we stayed overnight in a tent in a national park, okay? In a tent, okay? Like, in a national park for two days. So what happened on the first night is this. My teacher told us that there's extremely dangerous animal in the park who will come at night and attack our tents. 
And the animals is very sneaky and clever, so we have to be careful when we sleep. However, there's one thing that this animal hate. It is the smell of Vegemite. So if we want to be safe when we sleep, we better put a lot of Vegemite on the face and on the body. <laughs> so what did I do? I love me. So I did exactly that. I put a lot of Vegemite on my face and my body, everyone around me. It was horrible. I cannot sleep all night, not because I was afraid of the animal, but because of the smell. And in the morning when I wake up, I found out that it was all lie. Okay? And because of that, I hated Vegemite even more. Now, my question. What will it take for you to love something that you passionately hate? Paul hated Christian with guts. But then he became the apostle who wrote two-thirds of New Testament to us. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. One day, as he approached, as he tried to persecute the church of Christ, one day, a light appeared. A light appeared, and that light said, Paul, Paul, why did you persecute me? And Paul said, who are you? And he said, I am Christ. And that moment, finally, Paul came to realization, oh my gosh, that Jesus is in fact the Lord, that in fact the gospel is not about what we must do, but the gospel is the good news of what Christ has done for us. Christ died for my sin. I cannot be right on my own standard, but Christ has died for me. Christ become my righteousness. Christ become my servitude. And his resurrection is, is real, and it's historical event. And because of that, now Paul says, now that grace transformed my life. When Paul encountered the gospel, at that moment he says this, on the contrary, today I work harder than any of them. Though, no, it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. See, when Paul finally understands, oh my gosh, that I do not deserve, I kill Christians, I'm a bad sinner, I deserve eternal punishment, but Jesus said, I died for you, Paul. The price has been purchased at the cross. Now you can receive freely. All you have to do is put your faith in me and your name is on the receipt. I pay it all. And when Paul discovered that, Paul says this, now I understand that I am saved not by my own strength, it's by the grace of God alone. And because of that, Paul says, I work harder than anyone. See, the grace of God transforms life. If the grace of God does not transform your life, you have yet to know what the grace of God is. You might know it with your head, but you do not experience it with your heart. It is impossible for you to experience grace and remain the same. Paul was a passionate persecutor of Christ who became a passionate pursuer of Christ. God's grace not only forgiven Paul, it radically transformed Paul's life. If I can sum up this way, let's put it this way. The grace of God is not only a forgiving grace, it is a transforming grace. Let me end with this story. Rachel, you can return now. One of the joy of being a pastor is this. Okay, I mean, don't expect this if you're not a pastor, okay? This is one of the privileges of being a pastor, okay? One of the joy of being a pastor is sometimes I would go into a restaurant, I would order foods, enjoy the food, and when it comes to paying the bill, I ask the waiter, okay, can you give me the bill? The waiter will come to me and say, the bill has been paid. To which I respond, dang, I should have ordered more, right? <laughs> so, okay, I, most of the time, I do not know who paid for the, my meal, okay? So I went home, leave my life as usual. I have no idea, but I'm grateful. But let's say a few days later, I receive a phone call. And um, 
a guy called me and say, "Hey, PY, Pastor Yos, how are you?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm good. Who's this?" I'm a guy who paid for your meal a couple of days ago. Oh, awesome. Oh, thank you. I mean, you don't have to do it, but thank you. I'm so grateful. Yeah, yeah you know, do the chit-chat. And then he asked, um, yeah, how can I help you? So he asked, uh, actually, I call you for a favor. What kind of favor? Here's the thing. Me and my wife, we're planning to go on a holiday for, to overseas for two weeks. And we need someone to watch over our kids. So can you watch over our kids? I live in Perth, so can you fly to Perth to watch over our kids? After all, I paid for your meal. How do you think I'll respond? I'll be like, yo, bro, thank you for the meal, but I ain't going that far. No way. I'm not going to fly to Perth, all the way to Perth, to take care of your kid just because you pay for my meal. Here's what I do. I send you a story voucher instead, okay? That's my gratitude. Goodbye. I'm not going to fly to Perth just because someone paid for my meal. But let me change the story a little bit. What if this guy paid for my mortgage? All of it. All of it. He paid her off. I'd be like, I have a favor to ask you. I'd be like, your wish is my command. Whatever you need. Alaska, two weeks, I'll fly. Goodbye, RSI. I'll be taking care of kids for two weeks. Why? Because the guy paid for my mortgage. Here's my point. Why is there someone who pay a debt that you and I can never pay? What if this person brought us not only a new life, but he brought us from death to life? What if he freed us from the slavery of sin? What if he took on the bread of God upon himself so that you and I might experience the kindness of God forever? Because that is the gospel. Christ paid for my debt all paid at the cross so that you and I may live in His kindness. That is the gospel. So if you understand this, if you understand the gospel that we receive freely, let me tell you, there's no way your life and I can remain the same. Christ has paid an expensive price and if we only say thank you for the grace of God, you and I have no idea what the grace of God is because it is the grace of God that radically transformed our life. And this is the gospel. And I end with this. If we believe that, if I believe that, will I not want to share this good news with other people around me? If I really believe in my heart, not just in my heart, know that God has paid the price for me, that I am undeserved sinner, that God made a way for me, that I became right not because of my own doing, but because Christ has done it for all for me. So now I have future eternal future will I not want to go tell my friend who's there who do not know Christ and tell them there's a way for you to receive Christ there's a way for you to receive the God's kindness there's a way for you to be made right with God and it's not by your own doing it's not by what kind of clothes you wear it's not by what kind of drink you drink no it's nothing to do with that but it's by the mercy of God alone will I not go out there and go share the good news of the gospel and a lot of them why are we not making disciples it's not so much that we don't know it's because the gospel has yet to come alive in here. And my prayer is tonight you're reminded, you are reminded that the gospel is the most precious thing. It is the most important thing. It is what makes us Christian. And it's the greatest news in the universe. And if you are unbelievers, if you have 
not Christian, if not Christian this place, let me tell you, there's an invitation for you. The same gospel that radically transformed our life is available for you. And all you have to do is not try to prove yourself, not to try to be right on your own. All you have to do, simply put your faith in the perfect work of Christ. Trust Him. That is the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you make the gospel come alive to us. That we be a church that never, never neglect what you call first importance. That is the message of the gospel. And God, for the many, many times that we forget this and we begin to make the secondary become primary, forgive us, Lord. For the many, many times that we get busy talking about all other things and we neglect the gospel, forgive us, God. And for the many, many times that the gospel is just a knowledge that we know in our mind, but it does not transform our heart, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you convict us tonight, Lord. And I pray that the gospel become a reality that we believe with our heart, that we feel that we know for sure. Because when we believe it, when we know for sure, we know that our life will be transformed forever. Our life will never be the same. And for those of you who have yet to put your faith in Christ, Tonight, the message of the gospel is for you. Jesus said, come. You don't have to try hard. You don't have to try to earn anything. It's been paid at the cross. All you have to do is receive. And God, I pray that you do that. Give us faith to believe. And we ask this in the name of beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.